Welcome to the She's Marked Podcast. I'm Hannah, and I'm honored to be your host along this journey to stronger faith, holiness, emotional restoration and healing, and deliverance for the millennial woman. Join me as we press toward unpacking the heavy luggage of our hearts in pursuit of a life that is distinct, set apart, and built on the practical foundation of God's truth. She is walking in power. She is walking in freedom. Without a doubt, all will know that she's marked. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for listening to the She's Marked podcast. If this is your first time listening to this uh, show, Thank you so much for being here. You could have clicked on any other podcast, but you clicked on this one, and I believe that you're here for a reason. Today, we are going to be concluding the series, the two-part series, When Trauma Becomes Your Trip Up. If you missed part one, please go back to episode 013 and get caught up. So it's always interesting. I don't know if you guys have experienced this in your lives, but it's always interesting that Sometimes, especially for those of you who may speak publicly or you may share in your small groups or you may share with your girlfriends, sometimes the things that you talk about, the Lord ends up allowing you to be tested in those things. So today, as I conclude this two-part series, it's coming from a very real place. Sometimes we can only speak on things that we have actually walked through. And so it's just ironic because everything that I'm sharing with you all, I am literally ministering to and reminding myself of, even though the particular area of the fire that I'm in at this moment, all I see are the flames in front of me. I used to do quick chats on social media and I honestly need to get back to doing them. But on one of the very, I think it was the very first one that I made, it was about seeing past the smoke. So when we're in the fire, when we are in it, all we see are the flames and we see the smoke. We don't see the fire being done because the fire is not done. It's it's burning. It's It's raging on. And so I am delivering this episode to you all from that place of being in the fire. And I feel like it's only right um, to be able to speak on it as I myself am walking through it. So, of course, this is not my first time being in the fire, but it is a time where I have to really approach things slowly. So let's get right to it. And we can talk about why we have to be able to approach things slowly and being sober after this quick break. Simply put, I love home. I love comfort, safety, warmth, and cozy. Can you sense an introvert? I am. Home is not only where the heart is, but home is where the rest is. With the pandemic, our lives changed. By force, we began spending enormous amounts of time at home, working, worrying, educating our children if we had them, and quarantining. As we approach year three of this new way of life, the home means something completely different. A full-time homeschooling mom, I spend the majority of my time here, as do my children. 
I wanted rich biblical and educational material in order to enhance daily learning for my littles. I wanted to enhance my prayer time and my prayer space. I wanted constant reminders of God's word, hope, and truth, not just tucked away in my journals or my Bible or bookshelf. I wanted to see it in my kitchen, on the walls in my bathroom and bedroom, in my office on my desk. I wanted to see it waking up and when I went down for the evening. I wanted my kids to see this too and soaking it daily while learning. And that is how the Mark Store was born. The Mark Store is helping gatekeepers of the home to transform their spaces to places of undisturbed rest where the Spirit of God dwells and healing and equipping abide. The Mark Store is for the godly woman, her home, and her littles. You can follow and support the Mark Store on both Facebook and Instagram at the MRKD Store. So the whole purpose of my work in this podcast is to join hands with women as we unpack the heavy luggage of our hearts and move toward emotional healing and restoration God's way. And that is the primary sole focus of this this entire work, this, this podcast, is as we heal, not only are we looking to become better versions of ourselves, I think that's a common hot button today is the self-care, the self-focus, the self-love, the self-evolution, but it's healing and restoring and growing God's way. And so I decided to touch on trauma being our trip up because of the thing that can happen when trauma spirals out of control, some of us may find that we end up becoming the toxic person after because we become so, so wounded and that woundedness then becomes infection. And then that infection then becomes bitterness. And before you know it, we are leaking out that faucet of bitterness on every situation. It has totally taken over our, our eyesight. Uh, we hear through the filter of trauma. We see through the lens of trauma and it becomes a snowball effect that spirals out of control. So we see this, um, even if we, for one moment, try to step out of a biblical context, we see this in young people when they come from certain environments. In some cases, you know, the statistics for them being Substance abusers can increase. The chances of them being promiscuous can increase. The chances and statistics of them ending up in prison can increase. And it's because of these factors, these traumatic factors that play into those things. So this is proven. We see this. Now, during our last episode, I talked about the woman with the issue of blood in scripture. Now, healing is a decision. It's not an easy decision. It's not an overnight decision. It doesn't happen all in an instance. But healing is a decision. I've heard the phrase before, and, and perhaps you have too, that healing takes time or with time comes healing. That's not necessarily true. Time could pass, but if the steps aren't taken toward healing, if the conscious decision and choice to heal and to operate in a healed state isn't made, you will never heal. That's where you could see someone 
stuck in a in a cycle or still stumbling over something that happened decades prior. It's very difficult. So healing is a decision. The woman with the issue of blood made a decision. Despite the humiliation and risk, despite the difficulty to take on the crowds, the likelihood of her actually getting to Jesus, that was slim. She still got dressed, bloody and all, and she went. When I spoke about the woman with the issue of blood, I wasn't talking against counseling and therapy. I know that I mentioned that she didn't have to book a session and sit on the couch and have a slot of time. I don't condemn counseling. In fact, I encourage it. I'm in the process of becoming a biblical counselor. And in scripture, Proverbs 11 verses 14 specifically, it tells us, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. So it's important to have counseling and I'm a a proponent for biblical counseling. Not all counseling and therapy is created equal. So if you are a believer and you're looking to stay on the path of holiness and righteousness, you have to be very cautious of who you're taking counsel from. Counseling is important, but before that even happens, you have to understand and accept and realize that Jesus is the ultimate healer. So when we go to get counseling, we surround ourselves with other believers, people who may be at a stronger point in their faith than we are when we're in the fire. We surround ourselves with that type of godly counsel. Healing is a decision. Even the decision to go and get counseling, that's a decision. Does that mean that that's going to solve all your problems? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it's a step in the right direction. And so we're simply thinking about what is the next step that I can take God's way. I want someone to point me in the way everlasting. I want someone to point me to the cross. When I'm in the fire and things are flaming around me, I need to be pointed to the healer, which is Jesus. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17, and I'm actually going to pull this up. And I'm going to read it in a few different versions. The New Living Translation says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. The New King James Version says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. One of my favorite versions, the New American Standard Bible says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The Amplified Version says, for our momentary light distress, this passing trouble is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparisons a transcendent splendor, and endless blessedness. Now, that is certainly hard to think of when we are going through what may be the most atrocious disaster of our lives. But I find it equally baffling, if not more like mind-blowing, that, okay, if I am going through what is arguably the toughest time If I'm experiencing the worst possible circumstance, you're telling me that this weight of glory, what is waiting for me as a believer, as a daughter of God, far exceeds that? 
That's so encouraging. That doesn't do away with the reality of what we may be facing right now. But my goodness, it sure does give us a boost of hope. The enemy uses trauma to strip us, weaken us, and to abort our purpose and mission. God, too, uses trauma to strengthen, mature, build, and discipline us. When we hold his hands through the turbulence of life, we are refined. We become resolute in our faith. Trauma becomes our trip up, as I mentioned in our previous episode. Trauma becomes our trip up when and only when it becomes an idol. Trauma that seeks to exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ is where we find our downfall. Trauma that looks to tell you, and I think I I went over this in the previous episode, that you're broken permanently. You will never have good relationships. You can never trust. You're damaged. You're defiled permanently. This is who you are now. That trauma, when it alters your identity, when it alters your behavior, when it, again, it becomes the filter through which you now see You believe you are putting faith and hope in that trauma. We're not talking about grieving. We're not talking about feelings of downness and oppression. We're not talking about the natural response that we have when unfavorable things happen to us. But we're talking about the positioning that the enemy can use to exalt trauma and put it on a platform that now determines our destiny, that now determines who we are. Here's the thing that the, the enemy is 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 liberal. He, he like tries to steal the show. He like I don't know if you guys have ever seen any type of show growing up or any type of cartoon when somebody's like trying to steal the trying to steal the spotlight. They're like going out of their way. They're jumping in front of the camera. They're like, you they're waving their hands. They're like, look at me, 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 me. You know, the enemy would try to steal the show and capitalize on our unfortunate situations. Sometimes he will initiate the storm of spiritual warfare or whatever it is. And yes, at times God does allow that. Why? I don't, I I can't answer that for you. Only the Lord can answer that. But I often reference Job because he had such an extreme circumstance that was far reaching. It, It wiped away his finances. It wiped away his children. It it robbed him of everything. And God allowed that. But what I have found and what I am learning and what I have come to understand is that how you view trauma is largely dependent upon how you view God. What I mean by that is, do you have a low view of God or do you have a high view of God? And so... I look at Job. Job had everything happen to him. And through it all, under the advice of his friends, under the advice and frustration of his wife, he was basically encouraged to curse God and die. His wife told him that verbatim. She said, curse God and die. Now, Job mourned. He wasn't some super saint that, okay, his, his, his children are dead. The servant comes in the door and is like, Job, your kids just got wiped out. He's like, oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lift the name of the Lord up. No, he, he wept. He was bitter. He probably stopped eating. He tore his clothes. He grieved for days and days and days and days. He questioned God. He wrestled. 
He sat in silence. He was he looked terrible. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he's, he had sores all over his body. That was one of the afflictions that the enemy released on him. I mean, he was miserable in every sense, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But the one thing that Job never did, because he had a high view of God, he never cursed God. He questioned, he mourned, he grieved, but he never cursed God. How we view trauma is dependent upon how we view God. A rabbi by the name of Kurt Landry, I was recently listening to one of his sermons, and he said, you need to transform areas of weakness in your life to strength. There is peace in strength. That can be difficult when we have gone through trauma. When you go through trauma, you're weakened. You think of a physical injury when you've received trauma to your leg or or something, that part of you is weakened. But again, when we are looking at this through the lens, if if we put down the trauma lens and we pick up the lens of righteousness, we pick up the lens through which God is seeing this situation. God is seeing us once the smoke has cleared. He's seeing us once we're out of the fire. He's seeing that if we allow him to work and have precedence. If we allow Jesus to be king and not our trauma to be king, he is going to strengthen us. We're going to come out refined. It's going to hurt, but he's going to give us that grace. Remember, we talked about grace in the last episode. He's going to give us that grace and that grace, really that grace is his presence. He's going to give us that grace and we're going to come out stronger and we are going to find peace in that strength. For those of you who remember your days without the Lord, the days where you were living for your own purposes and you were dead and lost in sin, think about how your suffering used to feel in those times. The suffering that I experienced when my life was not fully surrendered to God and the suffering that I endure now look completely different. My suffering without Christ was riddled in just the oppression was so heavy. I could not deal. Some days I could barely function. And if you looked at me, if you weren't obviously living under the same roof as as me, if you looked at me, you couldn't really tell. I would try to mask as best that I could, but I was a wreck. And when you are suffering in an enduring trauma, one traumatic situation after another, and you don't have the true healer, It's truly hopeless. You don't have an eternal weight of glory that is waiting for you. You don't have that. It's just despair, despair, despair with no hope. But even when we experience suffering as believers, as daughters of God, the one thing that we also have is God's grace, a.k.a. God's presence, a.k.a. Him walking with us, him using this situation. Okay, I I can't feel what God is doing, but I know because of what he has told me in his word, he is building something in me. My outer man is wasting away, but my spirit man is being renewed day by day. We then can go on to, as the scripture says, we can fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen 
because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The reason why it's going to be important for us to learn how to not idolize our trauma, the reason why that's going to be important is because of the season that we're moving into. If the enemy can get you tripped up in soreness, if he can get you tripped up in weakness, because ultimately, regardless of whether or not you become toxic, regardless of whether or not you become bitter, all those things are basically serving one purpose, and that is to weaken you. It is to dissect and shred your faith. It's to steal your your kingdom crown. It's to turn you into all the things that Jesus came and shed his blood for you not to be. So if the enemy can rob you of that by tormenting you because of the unfortunate things that you have walked through, he'll do that. It's going to be important for us to learn how not to idolize our trauma in this season because of the times that are coming upon us, even just in the world. If we if we thinking of this thing on a larger scale, if if for just one moment you'll step outside of whatever it is that you're walking through and you look at the bigger picture, you you take your eyes off of what is seen and you begin to focus on what is unseen. Not only does the word talk to us about how we're to respond to trauma, how we're to put our trust in the Lord, how we are to look forward to the glory that awaits us, but it also talks about things that have to take place in the world around us, wars and rumors of wars, famines, intense persecution, especially for the body of Christ, the bride. And so imagine if we're weak, and we've stumbled and we just can't seem to get up because our, our bones are too brittle to stand. How will we be able to be prepared in the grand scheme of things? Dwelling in the place of trauma hinders sobriety. And this is definitely a time to be sober. It is a time of sobering all around us. Emotional sobriety, spiritual sobriety, trauma, and dwelling in the place of trauma, I should say dwelling in the place of trauma, it dulls and weakens the senses. Is trauma the only thing that dulls and weakens the senses? No. Sin does this in general. And so the enemy ultimately wants to get us living in a perpetual replay, a perpetual cycle of sin through our trauma. So it's possible, not just for the, the perpetrator, the person who has inflicted the, the trauma to be living in sin, but if our trauma at some point is not dealt with, then we too may find ourselves dwelling in sin. And the Lord Jesus shed his blood for our sins. So there is no need for us to be continually dwelling in sin due to trauma. When I started this episode, I talked about my current time in the fire right now. And I have to remind myself of all these things. Lord, what are you doing in me in this season? Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Lord, I don't feel strong right now. But how do you desire to strengthen me? As I'm in a very uncomfortable place, a place of deep disappointment and other things, what do you want to reveal in me? What do you want to do right now? Lord, I need your grace. I need your presence. This thing has been plugging away at me for some time and I'm, I'm starting to feel the shift, Lord. I'm starting to feel this heart of flesh turn into a heart of stone. And God, I know 
that I cannot live like that. I cannot live with a hardened heart because before you know it, if I allow my heart to get hardened towards other people, what I'm not realizing is that my heart is also at the same time becoming hardened to you, Lord. So please help me, Father. And I'm talking, ladies, I'm talking real stuff to you. This is exactly where I'm at. I'm not here to act. (laughs) I'm not here to act holy with you. This is exactly what I'm feeling right now. So I have to remember that what I'm feeling is not king. What I have experienced, though, it is true. This is not a fairy tale. I what what I have experienced, what is the things that have happened to get me in this state of mind, this state of emotions, those things really did happen, but they're not king. Jesus is. The Lord, what I love about Jesus being our true healer is that he isn't simply interested in helping us to identify and label our symptoms. Now, that's important. It's wonderful. And it's so needed to be able to put language to the things that we have experienced. It's it's important to be able to put language, to be able to express it deeply. But the Lord's intention is to make for himself a bride that is ready. It is to draw us back to our rightful posture and standing as his own. It is to purify, refine, and redeem, better known as progressive sanctification. So what I want to say is, one, to those of you who are very weak, very discouraged, very oppressed, the bigger picture message, there is hope for you. Jesus did it for so many people, millions, billions, trillions of people. He's still doing it today. There is hope for you. The next best thing that I can recommend to you is to seek out safety and the the gathering, the surrounding of counsel, godly counsel. I cannot express that enough. Even if you feel like, man, I'm not fully living a surrendered life find you some women who are you know what what is the saying they used to say you're show me your five closest friends and i'll tell you who you are or you're only if you're looking to build wealth if you're looking to become rich you got to you can't have all friends who are not rich or friends who are not good stewards of their finances you get around wealthy people you be, it begins to rub off on you you begin to learn So I say to you, okay, you're like, Hannah, great. You you said the big thing, you know, stop idolizing my trauma. What do I do next? How do I actually do that in practical terms? If you're able to get yourself someone to talk to, they have a lot of biblical uh, counselors out there. They have wonderful financial assistance. Many of them will work with you. It's minimal payment. If not, if you can get connected to a Bible-believing church, be careful with even the churches that you're going to. Make sure that they are rooted in Scripture. Make sure that they believe the truth of God's Word and get you godly counsel. That's it. You start right there. If that may not be within reach, begin to focus even on the Scriptures that I shared today, and I'll be linking those in the notes. Every time you feel that intrusive thought coming through, 
say this scripture out loud. You cast down that imagination. And I'll actually give you the scripture for that. Second Corinthians 10, five, it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So you say trauma, I cast you down. This memory, you are coming to try to assault me. You're basically trying to be king. You're exalting yourself against the knowledge of God. I'm going to bring you into captivity. The blood of Jesus washes and cleanses me. And then you see if you can find a new circle, even if it's one friend, one person that you can trust, and you begin to open up for accountability. You begin to open up for encouragement. You begin to open up for guidance. You begin to open up. That's the next best step that I could give you. For the listener who is a little bit stronger on their feet, but you're just feeling a little shaken by something, 2 Corinthians 10.5, keep at it with casting down the imaginations. Surround yourself with worship. Put on the worship music. Put on the, the good sermons. Fill your mind. Fill your eye gate. Fill your ear gate with the word of God. And remember to focus on what is unseen because what is seen is temporary. And plug in, plug in and, and, and spend time in that quiet place asking the Lord, Father, what is it that you're trying to do in me? Check your own pulse, check your own heart and stay on top of it as best you can. What I love with the Lord is that while he has guidelines for us to keep us from slipping, he isn't a God who is void of compassion. I love that old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And then it goes on, uh, one of the parts is, thou changest not, thy compassions, they fail not. Hast thou hast been, thou forever will be. So he isn't a God that's looking at us just callously and saying, oh, I don't care that you're wounded. Get up and walk, press forward, pray, be righteous, be holy, be perfect. He cares. He says in his word to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. He tells us in his word that he knows our frame and he offers encouragement and comfort. Ladies, when you get a chance, read Isaiah 55. I love the subtitle that says the free offer of mercy. I'm going to read some of this. Let it minister. It's only 13 verses. So listen up. Here we go. Ready? You there, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples 
a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which does not know you will run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it produce and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire." and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led in peace. The mountains and the hills will break into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the juniper will come up, and instead of the stinging nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord, an everlasting sign which will not be eliminated. Amen. Ladies, let that be an encouragement. I challenge you to stew and chew on Isaiah 55. Until next time. That's it for today, but the journey continues. Visit She'sMark.com for more episodes, to make a donation, or to check out the Mark Life blog. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, tell a friend, and consider leaving a review. Remember, the word tells us that many are called, but few are chosen. As you go through this week, remember to walk as children of light.